Hey, it's another uh, Flushing Transit Authority episode. Um, how you holding up there, Will? I gotta tell you, Jay, I've been better than I am right now. Yeah, I, I, I know, uh, I know what you mean, and we're gonna get into that. But before we do, we should uh, start off with a correction. In a previous episode, we stated that Jose Reyes is a Major League Baseball player who is capable of being a serviceable third baseman for the Mets. In reality, he's none of these things. We hope not to repeat this mistake. You know what? We all make mistakes. Um, the Mets have clearly made a mistake in bringing Jose Reyes back. Um, but I got to tell you, it's an easily corrected mistake. Because <laughs> Reyes is making, from the Mets at least, that big major league minimum money. Remember, the Colorado Rockies are paying the rest of his salary. Um, if the Mets wanted to just part way with Reyes, they could do so pretty cheaply. But first... We have to revive the corpse of Wilmer Flores, who is apparently in a hospital dying somewhere. And he's and he's not the only one. And so let's get into let's get into uh, the return trip to Panic City. Uh, it seems that no matter what we do as Mets fans, we just keep ending up back in Panic City. Yeah. Last week, uh, well, two weeks ago, when we last met to speak about the Mets, the Mets were riding relatively high. Seven and four after the first 11 games. Um, I think we spoke too soon because in the two weeks since we talked about the Mets, they have won a grand total of two games. Two games. Um, including an absolute nail-biter against the Nationals last night. Um, but in between that win, they dropped nine out of ten. Ouch. And I got to tell you, as much as I want to believe that the Mets are a good team, Good teams don't lose 9 out of 10. They lost 9 out of 10, but they seem to be in most of those games. If it's possible to have an effortless <laughs> nine out of, losing 9 out of 10 games in an effortless fashion, it seems like the Mets did that. Like Those losses just seemed to come easy. And there was like a week where it seemed like they went to extra innings every day. I know they didn't, but it seemed like that. It seemed like like we got rolled around to the eighth or ninth inning, and then suddenly it was tied, uh, and suddenly it was you know it all came down to the last at bat, whether or not that was the ninth, the tenth, the sixteenth, whenever. There were a solid five, six games in a row where it came down to the last at bat. Either the Mets lost in the last at bat, or they had a chance to come back in the last at bat, and as we saw, failed to do so. So. In our previous episodes, uh, you very famously started the season predicting 162-0. and 0. I have to amend that. And then, uh, I think it was last time, we, we uh, changed that to 154 wins. So now, my question to you, Will, is will they win any more games this year? Well, I think that I can confidently say the Mets will win at least five more games this year. Okay, so it's not all doom and gloom. Right. I think a solid 18-win season, which would be great if you're an NFL team and you can win 18 games, that is terrific. I mean, 18 games, that's a trip to the Super Bowl. Um, what do we think is going on here? Like, 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 are the Mets this bad? Are they so much worse than we thought they were two weeks ago? I think there are a couple of things going on here. One is we got a little overexcited over a good start. That happens. Um Second, it is early. 
Now, I, I hate to say the Mets are, maybe the Mets are not as good as they looked in the first 11 games, and maybe they're not as bad as they've looked in the last 11 games, and they're somewhere in between, but that's, a, that's an easy answer. Losing 9 out of 10 games is bad, no matter when it happens. Like I said, good teams don't lose 9 out of 10 games. But if this happened in July, I think we would be less apt to panic about it. It's when you lose early in the season or late in the season, it gets magnified. I I don't agree. I think we would be panicking no matter when this happened. (laughs) I think 9 out of 10 losses. uh, I'm surprised someone hasn't been fired. Um, I will not be surprised if somebody gets fired in the next couple of weeks, whether or not that's Terry Collins, whether or not that's the Grim Reaper, Ray Ramirez. How does um, Ray Ramirez have a job? Like, who does he have information on? <laughs> who does he have photos of? Okay, so let's let's actually delve into this a little bit because while it's easy and, and honestly fun to sort of keep this scorn on Ray Ramirez because we don't collect his baseball card, nobody really is invested in his job, is that really... The problem, is it the training staff? Is it is it management? Is it the players not being forthcoming enough? Uh, what do we think the issue is here with why the Mets always seem to have their players end up in the D- on the DL or end up not on the DL and limping along and then getting hurt worse? Like, like what do we think the, the, is at the core of this? You know, I'm not a medical surprise. I'm not a doctor. Just want to let that make sure you know that I'm just, not a doctor. You just play one on podcasts. I do. I play a doctor on a podcast. It seems to me, as an observer, that the Mets seem always seem very hesitant to put a player on the disabled list. Players seem to get out there with minor injuries that lead to them getting hurt worse. Now, what I don't know because I'm not in the clubhouse is this something that every team goes through, and it's simply more magnified. I don't know, but it's it just seems that every time a Mets player leaves a game with an injury, they say so and so is day to day with a hamstring or day to day with a sore arm, and then it turns into something worse. And what I don't know is is the Mets organization being purposefully dishonest or are they incompetent? And I don't know the answer to that. And they're both terrible options. I think there's a lot of things going on here. Uh, I, I believe I have read, and I, I don't recall the source, but if I can find it, I'll link to it in the show notes. But I believe I have read that injuries are up all across baseball. So to a certain extent, it isn't just the Mets. It's everyone who's dealing with this stuff. There's another uh, aspect to, to factor in here, which is, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say a name, and I want you to tell me some of the first things that pop into mind as a player when I say this name. Lucas Duda. The first thing I would say about Lucas Duda is he is good. The second thing I would say about Lucas Duda is he sure seems to be hurt a lot. Same thing could be said for someone like Travis Darno. The rap on Darno, the rap on Duda is they'd be good if they weren't on the DL all the time. So you've got two players that the Mets seem to put on the DL quickly, and their status has suffered for that. So to a certain extent, it feels like a damned-if-you-do, damned-if-you-don't situation. So do you think that there is a culture issue on the Mets or, you know, in baseball, where players who are seen as injury-prone 
get bounced to the DL very quickly, whereas other players are not. And if we're not in the clubhouse, we don't necessarily know who is who. I think that might have something to do with it. I think uh, we also, as fans, tell stories about these players based on their perceived, quote-unquote, fragility. Um, The thing about a story like what is going on right now with Ioannis Cespedes or what's going on right now with uh, Noah Syndergaard and his mysterious bicep problem, that one day he can't lift his arm over his head and the next day he's totally fine and refuses an MRI, is that the way this story is structured is it allows us as fans to blame the team and not the players. And because Cespedes and Syndergaard specifically are the two crown jewels right now, we don't want to blame them. So it's a lot easier for us to blame Terry or to blame Sandy, or to blame Dr. Death. So that allows us to not keep the blame on the players. Now, we are New York sports fans. We will turn on our players in a heartbeat, given the chance. Case in point, Jose Reyes, the top of the show. So, I'm not sure if we know what's really going on here, and I'm not sure there is anything that actually is going on here that we can easily point to, oh, that's the problem. We want there to be an easy-to-identify problem so then we can fix it, get rid of somebody, so then that problem will go away. But that never works. That's never how it actually plays out. Right, yeah. Just getting rid of somebody isn't going to fix this problem. I think, you know what? I'm going to give myself a research project to do between now and the next show. I'm going to look at every other National League team. Hmm. Look at players they've got on the DL... I'm going to do a little reading. Okay. Um, if you are a fan of another team and you are listening to this, uh, first of all, thank you. Second, feel free to get in touch. Yes. Let us know about your team's injury history and do you think that your team suffers from the same strange injury bug slash incompetence that Mets fans all seem to think their organization uh, suffers from? i got to say, how many times in the history of being a fan of any team have you known the head trainer's name? Yeah, that's a good point. That's a um, weird... Like, it's it's a bad thing. To, if you're the trainer, I think you're doing... You know, like an umpire, you're doing your job well if nobody knows your name and knows yeah, you're there. Yeah. And, you know, there's, I think, another element to this. And they were talking about this yesterday on... Uh, I forget if it was the TV or the radio broadcast. But specifically talking about Cespedes and his hamstring injury... And his quad injury last year. And we all saw all the stories in spring training about how, and and this is a joke, every year somebody comes into camp, quote unquote, in the best shape of their life. Right. And there's such an overwhelming kind of mania for fitness. And Cespedes in particular, the percentage of body fat that he has has gotten so low. And that's considered to be a positive. That's considered to be a hallmark of somebody who is in excellent shape. But it seems like that is also the hallmark of somebody who very easily pulls a muscle. Yeah. You know, I got to tell you, from personal experience, I'm not a professional athlete and I will never be one. However, um, not to brag, but I've run five marathons. And when I was in peak marathon shape, I was very easily injured. When I was in really good running shape, when I got my body weight down to, you know, like 10% body fat, when I was really in, as they say in the game, the best shape of my life, 
I could be running and take one wrong step and I would be sidelined. So I think this points the way to a very clear answer to all of these problems, and that is simply head trainer Bartolo Colon. Great idea. I was thinking, you never see guys in beer league softball games go on the 15-day DL. And if you've seen some of those workout videos, Bartolo is immensely strong. He is immensely flexible, but you never see him pulling an oblique. No. A couple weeks ago, um, in an attempt to get back into marathon shape, I've been seeing a personal trainer. And they pulled out the ropes. Mm. Now, have you ever seen the video of Bartolo Colon using... They're called a number of different things. They were referred to me as... Battle ropes. Battle ropes, yes. So seeing Bartolo Colon use those ropes. So the trainer pulls out the ropes. I'm like, oh my God, the Bartolo ropes. <laughs> I'm so excited. And the trainer's like, the what? Like Bartolo Colon, the greatest athlete of our age. And I got to use the Bartolo ropes. And let me tell you, 60 seconds is enough to leave me winded. Like how seeing Colon use those and being able to, to move so fast um, for such a long period of time is amazing. All right, so we've solved that problem. Head trainer Bartolo Colon, that will fix all of the problems. But before we leave the injury discussion, what the heck is going on with Wilmer Flores and his knee? I am so weirded out by how there's been no conversation about how he has an infection in his knee that required him to stay over the weekend in a hospital to get antibiotics continually flushing through his system. Like... That's not a thing that just happens. So I'm a little concerned about what happened and a little concerned about why no one's talking about it. Yeah, and I, I've, I've never had an infection of the knee. Now, had he been playing hurt? Was this something that's been going on? Again, we get to a cultural issue you know, in the clubhouse. Is it something where players are afraid to say, hey, I've got this injury? You know, did Wilmer trying to be a gamer and trying to help the team? Did he um, did he make this worse? Did he get a cut and not have it be treated, and then it got infected? Like, how does a person? I am not. I am also not a doctor. I don't play one on a podcast. I don't understand how someone even gets an infection in their knee. And I think as Mets fans, when we don't have the facts, we tend to fill it in with history, <laughs> and we tend to think of. Hey, remember the time Vince Coleman hit Doc Gooden in the shoulder practicing a golf swing in the clubhouse? And, like, hey, did somebody kick Wilmer in the knee while do I, What happened? What happened? And, you know, one of the most frequent advertisers on the Mets audio broadcasts is for hospital-grade disinfectant Decide Ultra. And I'm just wondering, like, should maybe the Mets be getting high on their own supply here <laughs> and, and do something to keep this from happening again? This is just a weird injury, and I want to know more. I do want to know more. Now, another Mets sponsor is the Hospital for Special Surgery. Now, personal plug for the HSS. I had surgery at the HSS when I was about eight years old. Wow. The fact that I can walk today is a testament to the work of the people at the hospital for special surgery who basically saved my legs when I was a child. I wonder if they should partner with their own sponsor and maybe send everybody on the team to the hospital for special, special surgery for a couple of days. Baby. Oh, man. Is there anybody left on the team right now? 
Well, you know who hasn't been hurt? And you know who has been pleasantly surprising has been Zach Wheeler. You know, Zach Wheeler, after a rough first start, has really been impressive. Um, I'm going to talk more about this in a little bit, but I got a chance to see Zach in person um, last Sunday. Um, Last Sunday, the Mets played that Sunday night game, and due to... um, an error in the infield and some questionable calls and just bad luck, Wheeler ended up loading the bases and giving up a grand slam to everyone's favorite former Met, Daniel Murphy. Mm -hmm. Now, take that inning and put it out of your mind. Because after that, Zach Wheeler pitched six more innings of one-hit ball. Now, hey, a loss is a loss, but you couldn't watch him innings through two seven and not say like, oh, this is the guy we thought we were getting. Remember, Zach Wheeler was the guy we got for trading Carlos Beltran. Zach Wheeler was a highly touted prospect, and I wish him all of the best. I hope that this is just the start of a great year for him and a great career. Seems like a good kid. I'm just really excited that he's been solid and reliable, especially since it seems like we never know what's going to happen every time Cindergard pitches. I'm so nervous every time Cindergard pitches that, like, each pitch is going to be the last one. That his elbow is just going to explode on the mound. He's going to disintegrate into a pile of ashes, and then that's just going to be it. He's going to return. He's going to return to Valhalla. Yeah. And then I never thought I would say this phrase before, but poor Matt Harvey. Like, the team seems to just keep putting him in these terrible positions, and he's trying his best, and he's not doing bad, but, you know, he could be doing so much better if he was had if he had any kind of regular pattern. Matt Harvey would be so much better off if he were Jacob DeGrom. Hmm. You know, I went, so, I went to see a couple of games last weekend, and... My friend Allison came with me to a game uh, last Saturday where Jacob deGrom got the start. And I was explaining, you know, Jacob deGrom was a player who seemingly came out of nowhere. Um, he was brought up from the minors for a spot start, and he just stuck around and stayed. And Matt Harvey had the disadvantage of being the savior mm-hmm. of a bad team. Coming yeah. up during the 2012 season... As like, oh, this guy is the future. And we all pinned our hopes and dreams on Matt Harvey. And nobody did that on Mm -hmm. Jacob DeGrom. Remember, as fans, we were more excited about Rafael Montero coming up than we were about Jacob DeGrom. And DeGrom has been a fantastic pitcher. You know, in his last two starts, um, you know, he struck out 10 in a loss. He struck out 12 Nationals last night. Yeah. Jacob DeGrom has seemingly flown under the radar to be the most consistent um, starter on the staff. And, boy, if Matt Harvey could be Jacob DeGrom, um, I think, I can't speak for Matt, but I wonder if he would be okay with that. So something that you you mentioned in passing just now is um, that in Zach Wheeler's start, there were a couple of errors, a couple of bad plays on the infield. And that's another thing that's been really frustrating watching the last week, two weeks of Mets play, is they've just been really bad on defense. We can certainly keep a lot of the blame on Jose Reyes here. 
Um, he's made a number of bad plays at third base, a number of ill-advised plays, throws when they shouldn't have been throws, not throwing when they he should have thrown. And you wonder how much of that is him bringing his at-bats out to the field with him and him trying to do too much. Partly, but it's also part of the fact that everyone on this team seems to be playing out of position. You've got Jay Bruce playing first base, and he's doing a pretty decent job, but he's not a first baseman. And there are plays where you can see his instincts aren't to do what need to be done. You've got Michael Conforto, who thankfully is playing, finally, but, you know, pick a spot. Although maybe it'll settle down with him in left field with Cespedes on the DL, but... There's this sense that everyone's always playing out of position. The defense is a little sketchy, and how is that going to affect the pitchers and their level of confidence? But what I wanted to kind of bring up about that is that, again, seems to be a catch-22 situation because what was everyone talking about at the beginning of the year? Flexibility. And how, oh, Wilmer Flores can play all these positions. Jose Reyes can play all these positions. You have this flexibility. You can move people around, and that allows you to get your best hitters in the lineup. So at the beginning of the season, the idea that you could change your lineup every day to get the best maximum output against whoever was pitching that day was seen as an ultimate good. And now we're in a place where the conversation has shifted to well, they should. what they should do is they should put the same lineup out there every day so the pitchers can get comfortable. You can't do both. And it seems like, regardless of what the Mets do, if they're not doing well, we'll find some way to change it. Whether or not that actually is the best thing or if it's just something different than we're doing it. Right. I mean, the Mets' MO going into the season was, our starting pitching is going to be great. It's going to keep us in games. We have enough bats that we can score enough runs. And defense, well, let's just hope for the best. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, when you're not scoring runs, that defensive issue is magnified. Yeah. Um, you know, making errors in the infield wouldn't, um, we would forget about them if the final result was a Mets win. Yeah. You know, last night the Mets pulled out a game against uh, the Nationals, thankfully, um, a game. As much of a must-win game as you're going to get in April, um, you know that is definitely what last night's was. And man, that we should talk about last night's game too because Terry Collins made a, made a call. Terry has never really lauded for his in-game managerial game. I don't know what Terry Collins is necessarily lauded for, except clearly being an. Seems like a nice guy. What I've seen people who are close to the team say, and I, and I believe this, is that Terry is a really great manager of people and personalities. And um, I think it may have been Matt Cerrone of Matt's blog wrote a thing yesterday or the day before that was talking about how Terry's particular skill is to tell a player that what they're doing is not good enough in a way that inspires them to want to do better mm. instead of tuning out that message. And that that's a harder skill yes. <laughs> than, you know, knowing when to do a double switch. Sure. And so that, you know, shouldn't be overlooked. However, Terry made a call in the game last night. Bases loaded, one out, Juris Familia pitching for the Mets with a two-run lead, not looking good. And he took Familia out and put in... Journeyman reliever Josh 
edging. If there was ever a player whose baseball card should say journeyman reliever, Josh Edgen would be on that starting team. So not only is he taking Familia out with the game on the line, he's bringing Josh Edgen in to face Bryce Harper. Now, to be fair, small sample size, but Edgen had numbers on Harper. Anything in baseball is a small sample size. Yes. But history was on his side. If you're Terry Collins, it's very easy to say, Familia's our closer, he's our number one guy out of the pen, we're going to leave him in here. And I applaud Terry for making that move last night because if Edgen gives up a double to Bryce Harper or, you know, the day before, Bryce Harper hit a moonshot. Mm-hmm. I know it was in Colorado, yeah. but he just destroyed a baseball. And had he done that, Terry might be fired today. I'm pretty certain that if Edgen had not gotten Bryce Harper out or I mean the, the the outcome was the best possible outcome and that was a game ending double play. But if Edgen had given up the lead, if the Mets had lost the game yesterday, I am convinced Terry Collins would be out by the end of this week yes. as Mets manager. Even with the win, I expect there to be a lot of questions. Kind of there'll be more under the under the radar, there'll be more grumblings about the decision. It worked out, Mm -hmm. but we're in a place right now where everything's very tenuous and another call like that going the other way, I think Terry's job is is in trouble. Now let's play what if. Okay. Game ends, game ending double play. Also, great play by Edgen to snare that ball, have the presence of mind to make a good throw home for the out, and then Darno making the throw to first to complete the double play. What if they don't get a double play? What if Edgen strikes out Bryce Harper or Bryce Harper pops up? Whatever happens, mm-hmm. um, you've got uh, Ryan Zimmerman coming up next. Who's coming out of the pen to face Zimmerman? I don't remember who else was warming up. Solace I think it was, was Solace. Yeah. I think Edgen was in there to face one batter. I think you're right. So are you saying, hey, we're going to bring in Salas to paraphrase The Simpsons? You don't win games with Salas. <laughs> you don't win games with Salas. I think you do win games with Salas, actually. And I've been really, really happy with uh, with him on the team. Um, uh, the bullpen in general has been really good, with the exception that Familia still hasn't found himself yet. We hope he will. Um, with the exception of a couple of his more recent appearances, including last night. Yeah. Addison Reed is generally really, really reliable. Right. And has anyone pointed out that Addison Reed looks like David Wright if David Wright shaved his head? <laughs> Actually, Addison Reed looks quite a bit like my brother-in-law. Hmm. Um, and it's hard for me to see anything else but that. Um, it's worth pointing out that my friend Christina, who... Um, Christina and her husband, Matt, and their daughter came to uh, City Field to see a game with me last week, and where I learned that Christina is thrown into a fit of rage at the sight of Addison Reed. Really? It seems as if, no matter how well Reed does on the mound, she is always waiting for the other Addison Reed shoe to drop. Really? And I don't understand I it. don't understand that either. I think Addison Reed is a, is a terrific arm out of the pen. I'm really happy with the job he's done. Um, Christina, if you're listening, I don't know what, I don't know if Addison Reed owes you money or 
if you just, um, I don't know, I don't know what it is, please give Addison a chance. For me, I always go back to my platonic ideal of a bullpen is the 98-99 team where yes. you've got, as frustrating as John Franco could be as a closer, he still more often than not got the job done. But back in the day run, when Franco was the ninth, Armando Benitez was the eighth, and then you had the mix and match of Dennis Cook and Turk Wendell. And those four guys at the back of the bullpen, I felt really confident that even if they had an off night, they'd be back the next night and would get the job done. And I feel like we're getting close to that again with Familia, Reed, Blevins, and Salas. I, I agree. So I feel pretty okay about the bullpen. Not so much about everything else. We as Mets fans own property in Panic City. Um, I'm leasing in Panic City with an option <laughs> to buy. I have an ancestral estate in <laughs> Panic City. And I know if we're panicking, then you out there uh, listening are probably also panicking. So we have a very important message uh, to share. We don't have an ad sponsor. Instead, we, we have a very important public service announcement. So let's, let's get to that. America. Throughout the world, there's unrest and uncertainty. But you don't have to suffer alone. If you or a loved one has a problem, if you don't know where to turn, if you feel like you're at the end of your rope, call the Mets Crisis Hotline. Whether it's yet another Jose Reyes pop-up, the latest in an unending series of injuries, or even just an amorphous sense of foreboding doom, operators from the Mets Crisis Hotline are standing by to help. Call 1-555-17-PANIC. That's 1-555-17-PANIC. And talk to one of our certified counselors today. The Mets Crisis Hotline. Don't suffer alone. That's what a fandom's for. I gotta tell you, the people at the Crisis Hotline are really doing God's work. I was on the phone with them last weekend for hours. I gotta tell you, they successfully talked me down off of a very high ledge. Were, you on, were you on the phone with them while you were in City Field? While the um, games were going on? You know what? The lines were so backed up while I was at City Field that I had to wait until um, I got back to a sort of secure location where I could call them and, and really get into it. Because I, I had a lot of angst. I understand that they actually have a series of additional towers, cell towers, lining the Grand Central Parkway just because they expect usually an influx of calls from people in that area. Yes, and what they've done is actually there's a booth now set up at City Field. Uh, it's behind the Shake Shack. you got to really know where to look for it. But there's a booth behind Shake Shack that if you're feeling like you're in a big Mets crisis, you can actually book time there. Now, this past weekend, the line to the Mets Crisis Center was longer than the Shake Shack line. Wow. Um, That's saying something. Yeah, it was bad. Did I mention that I was at City Field last weekend? I've heard that you were at City Field last weekend. You uh, went back for the National Series? I did, you know, because, look, I make no secret of my politics. I think uh, our, I think President Trump is a moron, and every day that he is in office is draining the life out of me. So, as, since we've been living in, in this, as someone described it yesterday, this blood-stained toilet of a country, I have been putting things in my future to look forward to. 
it's important. You gotta you gotta take care of yourself. Exactly. I've been trying to schedule fun things. So back in February, I scheduled a three day trip back to my ancestral homeland of New York, and my only plan was to go to three Mets games. There for three days, gonna see three Mets games. Hadn't been to City Field since the 2015 World Series. Mm. So I had it all lined up. My only plans were to see the Mets. And I had this all-star lineup of friends and family who were going to the games with me. I was super excited. I was super hopeful. You know, you do that thing if you fly into JFK on the red eye. Mm. Like, you land at JFK at 6.30 a.m., 7 a.m., and you've had, like, two hours sleep. But you sort of bound off of the plane, and you're like, I'm in New York, and it's going to be great. And the city is alive and magical, and I can't wait to get to the games. And then the game started, and everything fell to oh, pieces. Oh, oh. Um, I got to say, Friday night, Mets play an extra inning heartbreaker. On the plus side, I was there with, I mentioned them earlier, um, my friends Matt and Christina and their daughter. And we had a great time at the game. It was great to see them. It was great to to be at City Field. Like, City Field... They've really done so much to make it a great experience. The knock on City Field when it opened was that it honored Fred Wilpon's childhood <laughs> and his childhood love of the Dodgers less than it honored the Mets. I remember the first time I went to City Field when it opened, the overwhelming impression I got from it was that they got 90% of it right. Yes. And they got, and the stuff that they got right were the bones, were the hard things. And then all the stuff that was falling short were things that were mostly cosmetic and that could be changed and would be changed. And so, yeah, I agree that over the years, it's gotten closer and closer. I wish there was a little more blue and a little less green. Yeah, but I think that they've done so much. Remember, when it first opened, one of the knocks was like there were no Mets pictures. There was yeah. there wasn't enough like everywhere you look now, there's pictures of Keith Hernandez, Gary Carter, Gallant Strawberry, Doc Gooden. Yeah. Happy to see Bernard Gilkey's <laughs> tops card up on the wall at some point. And I love the Shea Bridge. That is an inspired piece of design. Mm-hmm. Um you know, being there for three days and sitting in three separate sections of the park mm-hmm. and walking around really allowed me to spend a lot of time talking to fans. Great fortune, you know, since I, I've, I follow so many really smart Mets fans on Twitter and Facebook and other sort of communities that I got a chance to reach out to some people and talk to them during the game. Like, oh, you're going to be here. Let's talk. And, you know, as we're doing this, the Mets are in the middle of a losing streak. They're in the middle of that losing nine out of 10 run. And the one constant that I noticed while talking to fans is that everyone seemed to get the sense that, oh, this was inevitable. (laughs) Like, this is where we're going to end up. So as I talked to people, it seemed like everyone had settled into that comfortable role of, oh, this is the Mets, and that means doom. There's a case to be made that Mets fans are only, they're sort of peak Mets fans Mm -hmm. when they're unhappy about something. It's like, hey, winning is great, but winning is not our natural state. Winning is unexpected. That's what made 2015 and 2016 so special, is that this is not our normal state. We are not that other team in New York 
who expects to win. Um, We're always waiting for the other shoe to drop. Yeah. For the Mets, being a disaster is comfortable. <laughs> it's we comfortable, all, I don't know about. It's, it's, well, it's familiar. Yes. We all have a sort of Mets confirmation bias mm-hmm. where we have what we believe is the natural state of the Mets. And when we see things that support that confirmation bias, like Jose Reyes throwing balls away mm-hmm. uh, from third base, or poor Estrubal Cabrera, um, who's clearly, his mobility is limited. Yeah. Uh, you know, who's doing his best out there, but it's just falling a little bit short. Um, when we see this, it plays into our expectations about who the Mets are. You know, if you are the, if you're a Mets fan, you just have to know that your shortstop of the 90s and 2000s is not going to be Derek Jeter. It's going to be Ray Ordonez. It's going to be the next thing. You know, if you remember, there was an SI cover years ago of, and I was reminded of this thanks to something that Matt Callan had written about a sort of late 90s SI cover where it was Nomar and A-Rod and Jeter and Ray Ordonez. Wow. It may not have been a cover, but it was a, it was a story in there. It was like, hey, which one of these things don't belong? <laughs> yeah. And... <laughs> That's sort of how we feel as Mets fans. We have lesser expectations. So we get mad and we yell when the team loses. But it also feels so normal to mm-hmm. say, here we go again. Like, in a way, the Mets sort of represent all of America in that regard. In the sense that, like, we're always hoping for the best. But at the end of the day, we're satisfied with the bare minimum. So going home, seeing them drop three straight games... Uh, with the exception of the Wheeler six-inning chunk, mm-hmm. it was a fairly dispiriting couple of days. I was thrilled to be in City Field. Like I said, they've done so much to make it a great experience. I'll never ever get tired of coming off of the seven train mm, and yeah. and walking in, you know walking yeah. to the stadium. That will always be exciting. Yeah. Um, I do have to say, just a side note: there's a dude who has dogs who, literal dogs, mm-hmm. who hangs out in front of the stadium. He's the guy who has the pit bulls, who have got baseball caps, and um, their dogs are smoking pipes. Really? Have you ever seen them? No. If you've seen this, hey, people, do me a favor. Stop petting that dog. No offense to the dog. The dog's a good dog. But he also has a shock collar on. Ooh. I really get worried that those dogs are being mistreated. And I think if fans stop paying attention to those dogs... That person will stop parading those dogs in front of the stadium. Sorry, I need to go on a dog rant. But three games in a row, I saw those dogs, and three games in a row, I got very mad about it. One last thing about my trip to City Field um, that was positive and fantastic. Clearly, Michael Conforto has played his way into the starting lineup. The only positive on the offensive side was Conforto looks great. Looks yes. great at the yes. plate. Looks comfortable enough in the field. More Conforto. Conforto every day. I would be a big fan, as much as you know I'm a fan of Lucas Duda, mm-hmm. I would be a big fan of keeping Jay Bruce at first and keeping Conforto in the field. I also want to see Granderson play. The hard part with the Mets is I like so many of the players yeah. so much that, like, can't we just put an extra guy in the outfield <laughs> so everyone gets started time? Anyway, Conforto looks great and... If there's one sort of positive to hang your hat on, 
it's that he is looking like he looked at the beginning of the 2016 season. So I know that we're panicking. Yes. I know that panic is the order of the day. But when I get past that initial bucket of cold water in the face panic, Mm -hmm. I think there's actually a lot of upside and a lot of positives to look at here. Yes, they lost a crap load of games. But I said this from the very beginning. I don't mind when they lose. I mind when they're boring. And none of these losses have been boring. They've been in almost every one of these games. Yes. I will take that. I will take that rather than another episode of John Mayberry hitting cleanup. Yes. Like, I'll take this. Here's the other thing, and and this really kind of came to me last night when uh, we were watching uh, Travis Darno hit two home runs. I'm starting to feel again like I felt at the end of 2015 when the Mets lost the World Series. And I remember feeling strangely okay with that because it was clear that the Royals were the better team and had outplayed the Mets. All these years later, I could finally admit you're right. But I also remember thinking that the team was now in the hands of Michael Conforto and Travis Darno, And that last year, neither of those players showed up. For whatever variety of reasons, it didn't happen. But watching Conforto over the last week, watching Darno hopefully finally putting it together, like these two guys feel like they will become the bedrock of this team. Especially with, you know, Cespedes on the DL for God knows how long. I don't expect Wright ever to come back. As much as a, a leader and a personality in the clubhouse as Drupal Cabrera is, he's not the bedrock right. of a team. Yeah. It felt to me at the end of 2015 that this was going to evolve to be Conforto and Darno's team. And I'm starting to see glimpses of that finally yeah. this week. And if you can get Duda on the field, like a core of Duda, Darno, and Conforto, I got to tell you, as enjoyable as Lucas Duda is as a player, I don't feel like he is a long-term solution. Okay. Um, I would not be surprised if he is not the starting first baseman or even on the team by the end of this year. And part of it is just a numbers game. Part of it is if they need to make changes, where are the changes coming? Obviously, the first one is bench or cut Reyes, move Cabrera to third, and call up Ahmed Rosario. But there's also Dom Smith uh, at AAA who will be ready by the end of this year or next year. You've got moving Bruce to first base to create that spot in the outfield. When Cespedes comes back, we're going to be back in the same place we were, needing needing a place. So as great as Duda can be when he is playing and consistent, he's not always playing and he's not always consistent. So I don't know what other options they have. I just really, really hope that Darno has turned a corner and will be the player that we all hoped he could be. I really hope so, because I want to be able to say one day, say what you want about Sandy Alderson, but the idea that he flipped R.A. Dickey for Noah Syndergaard and Travis Darno, that may be one of the all-time... You know, steals in Mets history. That's going to be up there with um, Ed Hearn for David Cohn. Or uh, Neil Allen and Ragombe for Keith Hernandez. Yeah. Yeah. So while 
it's been horrible. And while there is a long road ahead, I am actually more optimistic than I would have believed, even maybe 24 hours ago. Now, we're recording this Saturday morning. We're going to post this Monday. The Mets may have lost two more games to the Nationals by then, and in which case, you know, I'll be calling the, the crisis hotline along with everyone else. Um, but as bad as them getting swept by the Nationals last week, if they can win one of these two remaining games, that goes a long way towards cushioning that impact. Yeah, that's a series win against the division-leading Nationals. So, have we successfully backed away from the ledge? I think we've successfully backed away from the ledge. We would feel, I, I acknowledge that we would feel 100% different if they had lost the game last night. Yes. It's amazing what a win can do to yes. change your perspective. Yes. And I would like two more wins over the next two days, and then I will feel much, much, much better. At this point, the goal is get back to 500. Yeah. You know, right now, as as we record this, they're at 9 and 13. I don't know how long it's going to take them to crawl back out of that. But if they can if they can do it in a relatively short period of time, stay within five, six games of Washington, um, anything can happen. Anything can happen. And, and what has been drummed into our minds from the very, very beginning, from the very, very start, you got to believe. You do got to believe. And speaking of drums... The sound of drums in the background uh, is ramping up. I don't know if you can hear those. If you're listening, there is a marching band practicing outside. So I think that is probably our cue to wrap this up. Okie doke. If you're, uh, if you're enjoying the Flushing Transit Authority, or even if you find us really annoying, give us a review, rate us, give us any kind of feedback on any of the many platforms you listen to. We'd really appreciate it. Seriously, I know every podcast you listen to says, hey, rate us and review us on iTunes. But I got to tell you, it really does help people to find this. Um, and you know what? If you want us to keep doing this or if you want us to stop doing this, <laughs> the best way to let us know is by rating and reviewing this on iTunes or the podcast platform of your choice. And until then, we'll see you at uh, City Field. We'll see you on the MLB at Bat app. Uh, we'll see you in the marching band, or we'll see you uh, on the on the Mets Crisis Hotline. Try not to panic. We'll see you next time.